We are your hosts, Dr. Jeremy Pettis and Dr. Steve Edelman. So welcome, everybody. We're so excited to be doing these podcasts now. And we wanted to introduce you to this topic for today, which is new options for basal and bolus insulins. Basically, we're just going to be talking about insulin. What's new with insulin, which is kind of cool that we're talking about this. We've had insulin for 100 years now, and we keep modifying it to do different things. So, you know, kind of setting this topic up that, you know, whether you have type 1 or type 2, there's a good chance that if you're not insulin now that you might need it. Everybody with type 1 diabetes needs insulin since the day that they're diagnosed. But if you have type 2, the the usual kind of algorithm is starting with some oral agents, maybe injectable, and then eventually probably using a basal insulin and then mealtime insulin. So it's it's helpful to know what these insulins do, why we use basal, why we use bolus, and the best ways to kind of titrate them along with like what the new options are. So Steve? Yeah, the only thing I wanted to add is let our listeners know that you and I both have diabetes. That's right, I uh, forgot. And we are doctors, but we're also diabetes specialists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, we wanna do more than just list them out. We wanna answer some of the questions we've seen come up on our conferences and on our blogs and not only discuss the older insulins which may be the only ones you could afford but also some of the newer ones including once weekly basal insulin yeah we just keep making these things longer and longer so it's helpful to make me start that everybody with who doesn't have diabetes obviously makes insulin and there's two kind of ways people make insulin. So there's this kind of background or basal amount of insulin that non-diabetics are always kind of secreting that meets your kind of ongoing baseline metabolic needs. And then when people eat and their blood sugars tick up just even a little bit, the beta cells that make insulin in the pancreas can sense that their blood sugars go up. They release insulin right into the bloodstream. It works within seconds. It's cleared within minutes. I always say that these beta cells are like beautiful little thermostats of blood sugar, and they're, they're such sophisticated cells that we have to try to reproduce what they do so elegantly with these kind of clumsy shots sometimes. But basically, when we take what the beta cell does, we need to give ourselves a basal insulin, that background kind of need, and then something with meals. So let's start with, with basal insulin. And how do you describe that? How do you tell people why they need it? Yeah, I, I would just say this, though, Jeremy, to add on what you're saying that you know, when you have diabetes, as you inferred, we inject these insulins into our subcutaneous tissue. Mm-hmm. But those little beautiful beta cells, what'd you call them? Uh, Glorious thermostats. Yeah, thermostats, <laughs> yeah. They're like, uh, they secrete insulin that goes right into the bloodstream. Like you said, acts within seconds to yeah. minutes. And one of the big problems and frustrations that a lot of people have, including you and me, that when we give ourselves insulin, it's like, get out the stopwatch. How long is this going to take? Yeah. You know, and it takes a long time for the insulin to work, to peak, and it stays around way too long. Yeah, I so, think you can't, you can't highlight that point enough. That people get frustrated with, like, you know, I think a lot of times providers can say, you know, you just you take this dose of insulin, like, what's so hard? Well, gosh, it's really hard to get the dose of insulin right. And it's like steering the Titanic sometimes with this insulin that, that takes a while to kick in, et cetera. So if you're listening right now and you're looking at your blood sugars and it's high or low and you're frustrated, we get it. You know, we're still dealing with this too. Yeah. Well, let's talk about basal insulin. Let's. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you describe uh, in a little more detail for type ones, but I want to address the type twos that, you know, we call type two a progressive condition. You've already alluded to that. And a lot of people, I'd say most of them, when they're first diagnosed, they don't need any insulin at all. 
And those beta cells are actually secreting insulin, not enough to keep the blood sugars under control. Otherwise, you wouldn't be diagnosed with diabetes. So a very common first step is to give a basal insulin, and you give it at night or the morning. The older basals were NPH, and that was a kind of, it wasn't really a long-acting insulin, but that's all they had. Then they had some other weird stuff like Lente, but I think most people are familiar with Lantus mm-hmm. and the Novo product, Levamir. Those have been around since 2000, and those were the workhorses since then. And you take it in the morning, at night, or some people take it twice a day. And as you mentioned, it gives a baseline of action that keeps people in control when they're fasting and sleeping. Mm-hmm. And why don't they need fast-acting insulin in, in that period of their diabetic life? Because their pancreas can still muster up a secretion of insulin when they eat. And then, as, as you mentioned, we're going to get to the bait, to the bolus insulin. As time goes on, type 2s may need bolus insulin. So having a good uh, baseline of insulin is really important if you're a type 2. But once again, it depends where you are, what we call the natural history of type 2 diabetes. So it, it is a good first move, but we'll talk about this in a second. But you got to make sure that you're started on the right dose. I would say even more importantly than that, titrated to the dose that keeps your morning blood sugar under control. Because once you start off the day with a good blood sugar, no matter if you take your basal insulin at night or first thing in the morning, uh, you're going to do better the rest of the day. So that was the short answer. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, I think it's it's interesting for you know for type 2s. Like you said, we start with other agents, some oral drugs, like whatever. And then if you need basal insulin, we usually start with 10, 20 units of, let's say, Lantus at night. Um, but that generally is not enough. And people have to titrate it up over time. And the way that we do that is have people check your fasting blood sugar. Generally, we want to keep that under 130 or so, maybe even tighter. And if you're not meeting that goal, you can increase your basal insulin like a unit a day to get at a goal. And that can be tough for people because a lot of times people aren't comfortable titrating their own medication. Um, it's quite the opposite. When you're given any other drug, doctors will say, this is the dose. Don't ever change it unless you talk to me. And now we're saying, yeah, take this at night and you might need to change it over time. So when people start at 10, 20 units, most people will end up needing somewhere between 40 and maybe 60 units or so, at least initially. So they can kind of start feeling, well, gosh, the more insulin I'm taking, like I feel like I'm really sick. Why do I need so much insulin? And I always tell people, look, you need the amount of insulin that you need. Um, And we're going to give you the dose that you need to do to get kind of your blood sugars under control. And it's nice. It can be actually really empowering for people with type 2 diabetes to see their numbers improve. Gosh, when I started basal insulin every morning, I woke up, my blood sugar was 200. And as I've increased my dose, those numbers are coming down and I'm feeling better rather than just like take this medicine because I said so kind of thing. Yeah. You you know, you hit the important point. So many people say, oh, if I'm on more insulin, that means my diabetes is worse. What I love the way you said it. Very empathetic. You need the insulin that you need. Um, And Some people can get away with 20 units. Other people need 80, 90, but it doesn't matter. What is that morning and fasting blood sugar, which is your blood sugar first thing in the morning before you eat? And I think now that uh, continuous glucose monitoring is becoming more and more available and popular for type 2s, I'd say anybody on insulin, every type 1, 100%. With rare, rare, rare exceptions, and I'd say most type twos would benefit, and it does help you titrate. And uh, every there's a lot of different titration regimens out there. I personally have people titrate two units at a time, uh, based on their morning blood sugar. And I think the other important thing to, to say is, you don't have to shoot for a super tight 
control it first. If your fastings are 240, you might say, like for my patients, I would say, I want you to test your blood sugar every morning. If not below 140, add two units every single day. And that's a pretty aggressive titration. And if it's below 100, subtract two. But then as the blood sugars come down, and you're right, people get empowered when they finally see their blood sugars under control, then you might even lower the, the, the scale to, you know, shoot for 90 to 130, for example. So you don't have to do it all overnight. It's not a, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Uh, and you you know, people have to get out of their minds that the higher the insulin dose, the worse their diabetes yeah, is. Yeah, and I think that brings us to kind of the new basal insulins, which apply to the type ones also. So Lantus, you're right, we've, we've had for a long time. God bless it. Now we have two new insulins called Tugeo and Traceba that are both a little bit better in the sense that they're they're longer acting. So they last at least 24 hours. You don't have to ever take like a morning and an evening injection, for example. They've been shown to have less hypoglycemia. And people, especially the type 1s, like them because they're just more consistent. Um, they seem to be kind of delivering the same amount of insulin at 8 a.m. as they are at 8 p.m. So for all you type 1s out there listening that are on basal, like you take shots, you're not on a pump, please look into getting Tugeo or Traceba. Uh, we're calling them new, but then been around for, I don't know, seems like 10 years now, like a long time, maybe not quite. Re relatively new, for yeah, sure. Relatively, but it's not like these are fresh off the like press. Yeah. And like, so I'm saying that because these are easier to get insurance-wise, these, you know, things like that, that if you have type 1 diabetes, please get on one of these insulins. And if you have type 2, they're great also. Um, yeah, the other thing I was going to say is for type 2s, uh, and and. Type 2s, because of the nature of the cause of type 2, they need type 2s typically need higher doses than type 1s. And both Novo and um, Sanofi make pens that can give you more insulin per pen. So instead of just 300, the Novo pen has a concentrated called U200. That's 600 units. And even there's a thing called 2JO Max that has 9 hundred units in one pen because like i said type twos go through insulin pretty quickly got it and then for type ones like how to adjust your basal it's a little bit different say a quick word about the importance of the basal and type ones compared to type two because you know as you mentioned the minute you're diagnosed you're going to get a basal insulin. yeah so you know type twos they still produce some insulin so if you forget a dose of insulin you know it's not great but you're not going to get into trouble dka Type 1s, if you miss a dose of basal insulin, you don't have insulin on board, you can get into trouble pretty quickly. Um, that Because we don't make any of our own insulin, that basically as soon as your insulin goes out of your body, that fat starts getting digested and it turns into ketones and can cause DKA. Um, did I pass? You did pass. I mean, <laughs> if you're a type 2, you stop all your insulin, you, you may not get that sick at all. Yeah. It's not a good idea, but you might not be in the hospital like you would if you had type 1. Yeah. So anyways, type one, like basically you just want to keep your blood sugars flat overnight. That's kind of the best way to see if your basal's right. And um, it doesn't mean waking up with a quote unquote good blood sugar every day, but it just means if you go to bed with a blood sugar of 150, you want to be waking up more or less with a blood sugar of 150, plus or minus like 30 points, milligrams per deciliter. So pick a night, you're going to bed, your blood sugar is flat. You've been at whatever, 120 to 160 for the last hour or two. So it's not like you're already going up or down before you go to bed. And then just see what happens overnight. 
Um, and the ideal basal insulin will keep you kind of consistently flat overnight. And you might have to do this for two, three, four nights to see, but if you're constantly, your blood sugar is just automatically going up every night, then you probably need more basal insulin. This applies to pumps too. If it's constantly going down every night, you might need less. So that's the best time to kind of check in to see if your basal insulin's right. Yeah, it's, it's so important. I've heard you say that if you don't have your basal insulin set correctly, it makes everything else hard to oh adjust yeah. your your prandial dose your your insulin to carb ratio you know and you're the way you're speaking jeremy you're assuming when you say a flat blood sugar you're assuming everybody's on a cgm well i wish you were right well i you're right we should talk about that so if you have type 1 diabetes get on a cgm period um and yes there's still some insurance issues it can sometimes be difficult it's much better than it used to be i remember the first tcoid conference you had me talk at one of the first ones was in sacramento um, and I was talking to a room full of type ones about CGM and all the benefits and people were yelling at me like, we can't get these. How can you be up here talking about them? And I remember like being like, geez, Steve just, just released me to the lions for crying out loud. <laughs> um, and people were appropriately mad because the data, I mean, they're so useful. Um, blood sugars are better, less hypoglycemia, kind of higher quality of life that we're using them more and more. So if you are on mealtime insulin, period, you have type one or type two, you can get a CGM approved. Um, and pretty soon, I'm hoping it'll be for type twos on basal insulin or just oral agents. It's just gonna be the way that we we monitor diabetes. Yeah, you're so right. I mean, not only Sacramento, but uh, almost every conference we went to that year that or a couple hometown. years. That's where I grew up and people wanted to Well, that's not why, me. well, you had your ex-girlfriends in the yeah, audience, obviously. <laughs> the, the, you know, almost everywhere we went, we asked, how many of you on CGM was a my, super minority? Right. And uh, I remember the last couple of years in San Diego was like 80%. Yeah. And we realize uh, it's hard to get. But if you're someone that says, I don't need one, but you're having lows and your A1C isn't good, you know, you're full of it. Um, you need to break the bite the bullet and uh, and get one. And we have choices now. You know, we got the Dexcom G6 which soon to be G7. We got the Libre 2, soon to be Libre 3. The Eversense Implantable CGM just got approved for six months. All that information's on our website. So it's important for, and even you type twos, if you're, like Jeremy said, if you're on, if you're taking insulin for meals, fast acting, even Medicare will pay for mm -hmm. your CGM because they know it saves money. Yeah. So that's important. So that's basal insulin, Traceba, Tugeo, kind of new kids on the block. Um, hopefully giving you guys some background on what basal insulin does, how to adjust it, whether you have type 1 or type 2. I love the way you say Tugeo. Tugeo. Like you, you're almost like you're French. It's a French company. Zenovi. Tugeo. I mean, almost like... If, hey, gosh, it's a podcast. I'm I, working on my like I, radio voice. I know. I like it. I was telling you I like it. Well, let's let's talk about... Yeah, let's talk about mealtime insulin. Yeah. I was, making, I was making that transition before you made my French comment. Go for it. Video. I mean, mealtime, bolus prandial insulin all He's, the same thing yeah, all the same thing yeah yeah so real quick when we were diagnosed we had regular insulin which is literally the insulin that your pancreas makes it's the same exact amino acid structure that that's that's what it, it is problem with that is it takes a long time for it to start working and it hangs around for a long time so then in the 90s or so we got kind of the we call the insulin analogs humalog novolog they modified the amino acid structure, the way that the protein works, to make it get absorbed a little bit faster. Um, and then fast forward even further to today, where now we have our ultra-rapid acting insulins, which we call Fiasp and Lumgev, and then an inhaled insulin called Afreza. So let's just start with kind of Humalog, Novolog. 
basic concepts that you tell people for kind of mealtime dosing? Anything that you want to highlight? A lot of times people are type 2. They just need a good slug of insulin. Mm-hmm. They don't need to be as um, specific as us type 1s. <clears throat> and and you don't have to test your blood sugars a lot. You know, you take your, your dose of insulin for breakfast, and what are you before lunch if you're still pricking your finger? If you're good before lunch, you're good. Yeah. Uh, there's And then the same thing with dinner, but, uh, you know, usually there's a longer period of time between lunch and dinner. If you're really high at dinner, you might want to check once in a while at 3 p.m. But it's all about, you can't really adjust the dose unless you're testing. Yeah. Um, and I should tell everyone that both uh, Dexcom and the Abbott Libre folks offer free trials. So just go to their website and uh, you can, you might be able to get a free CGM for one or two months worth of, well, one month full of data collection. Um, it's as uh, we mentioned earlier, and you know, when you first started, based on how well the pancreas still works and someone with type 2, they may only need to knock down, let's say, the dinner, the post-dinner blood sugar. So they're really high at night. You can you can take basal insulin, but you the best thing to do is to get that blood sugar down before they go to bed. And you might need a good slug of a fast-acting insulin. I say it like that because that's really what they need. Right. So another way of saying that, like a lot of times people with type 2 can get away with like set dosing. I take 10 units for every meal or something like that. And you're right, type 1s, we you know, have to be a little bit nuanced in, in, in counting carbs. So my thing for mealtime dosing with type 1s is I, I, I can't harp on people enough about how important the pre-bolus is. Taking your insulin 15, 20 minutes before you eat because it takes the insulin so long to start working that if you don't do that, you're just always going to be behind the eight ball. And I honestly think that the timing of insulin is just as important, if not more important, than the dose itself. Um, so with our quote-unquote rapid-acting analogs, they're just not rapid enough to take when you first start eating or after you start eating. So what do I? what is the most common pattern I see in people's blood sugars with type 1? Well, they go high after they eat. They get you know upset. They do what we call a rage bolus because their blood sugar is high to correct. And then they go low and they kind of eat everything in the fridge. They go high and you get on that roller coaster because you're always just reacting. I'm high, I take insulin, I'm low, I eat. Versus I'm going to take a good dose of insulin before my meal to try to avoid that high in the first place to kind of, you know, ride it out a little bit smoother. What do you say to people that say, I'm afraid to take my insulin before eating because I might get low. I'd rather take it during, at the time of eating or even after sometimes. So I think it's just building confidence to try this with a few meals because trust me, that technique results in more low blood sugars. Because if they don't take their, their insulin before, they go high and then they correct and go low. So just starting with maybe like some units on board. If you just take two or three units 15 minutes before you eat just something, you know, priming the pump, as we say, just like a little bit of a pre-bolus, and then maybe you can give the rest when you actually sit down to eat. That makes a, a huge difference. So now let me ask you, Steve, like we got these new guys, Fiasp and Lumjab. Um, basically, Novolog has adjusted their formulation a little bit to make it more rapid acting called Fiasp. So Novolog, you could say, kind of became Fiasp. Faster acting yeah. Novolog or something like that. And then Humalog did the same thing to become Lumjev. These words are crazy. How do you spell Lumjev? It's it's L Lumjev. That's how you pronounce it. <laughs> um, so, you know, what do you tell people about these new, new insulins? Yeah. Well, I think the timing is extremely important. I mean, it's... It's it's really makes the biggest difference on how the post blood sugar, uh, how high it goes up. And if you can control that, you don't need to do a correction bolus. Then you don't need to get low later on. So um, the way I describe them is they work a little bit faster, 
and they get, and very importantly, they get out of the system a little faster. So you have better postprandial blood sugars, post-meal blood sugars, and less delayed hypoglycemia. And they're both approved for pumps. Now for type ones, I, I pretty much recommend these along with the two Tijel and the Traceba because it really makes a difference in type ones. Type ones don't typically have a, uh, a ton of insulin resistance and they respond at lower doses. For type twos, you know, if you're doing well on Umalog or Novolog or Epidra, you may not need to switch. But if you're not having that control that you like, you may talk to your caregiver about that. So I think, you know, I still tell my type ones, you can try it. Lumjev or Fiasp, they're a little bit faster. I still tell them they have to pre-bolus. It's not fast enough to just take when you eat. Um, side effects, be aware of. People can get a little stinging when they take Lumjev. Um, they're both approved for pumps, like you said. Uh, but some people anecdotally will say that they, they have issues maybe like the third day of their pump with some of these, like more inclusions and things like that that I've just heard. That being said, it's a good option for people to try. Yep. Um, so that brings us to our final mealtime insulin, Afreza. What do you want to say about that? Well, we need about an hour to talk yeah, about exactly. that. Well, uh, you know what? Uh, you and I both use Afreza with our hybrid closed loop systems. Um, and it, it's an amazing insulin. Um, and people are just now discovering it. Doctors have no clue. But it, it's an inhaled insulin. Did you say that? I don't know if you said that. I probably didn't. Okay. But, um, you know, I inhale lots of stuff. Uh, no, uh, inhaled insulin where there's little cartridges, you put them in a little inhaler device the size of your finger, for God's sake, and you take a little like that. And um, Not like your whole finger. You're talking about like the capsules or just like the tip of your finger? No, not those. I was talking about the, the device. Oh, okay. The little capsules are really tiny, size of your Yeah, I think you're right. We need a lot of time to talk about this. But the benefits are it's inhaled. So... Um, people don't want to do shots like type twos. I think that's a good option for to let them know about. Um, and then it just works so quickly. It's a rapid on, rapid off. You know, so it's it's really unlike any of our kind of rapid acting insulins in terms of how quickly it works. It works immediately. It's something I tell people they actually can take when they start eating, or even a little bit after they eat because it's so quick. And then it's out of the system in 60, 90 minutes, so people can bolus again or you know inhale again in in an hour and a half or so. Then a whole talk on this on TCOID, our video vault, and you know new insulins, inhaled insulin, uh, because it does require educating people on the timing of it, the dosing with these these cartridges for H12. But it can be really helpful for type ones for those stubborn highs. My blood sugar is 250, it won't come down. Um, taking something to bring their blood sugars down to into range quickly. Type ones love it for that. For battling high carb meals, I'm gonna sit down and just take down this freaking bowl of spaghetti, whatever, um, <laughs> or an acai bowl. Um, et cetera. So it definitely has its place. Uh, providers out of there need to educate themselves on it. We hear all the time still patients saying, my provider just won't prescribe it. It just drives me nuts. We heard it today that a, someone wanted it, but they are using it with a pump. And they said, you can't use them both. That's not true. Um, you know, I, I got to say this great statistic, and I have a slide on this for the visual face-to-face -face lectures we used to give. Um, you know, if you dissect someone's lung, not mine, and you, Not yours. The, the, uh, the, surface, the surface of the lung, if you spread it out, it's the size of a tennis court. And that's why the lungs are a good source of absorbing medication. And, of course, Afresa is not the only drug we take by inhaling. You know, steroids, lots of other medications. So um, I, I think that the rapid absorption and the rapid clearance just is 
really meets an unmet need for us type ones. And I always tell people, watch your lecture because Jeremy mentioned four, eight, and 12 cartridges, but four units of a Frezza is not four units of fast acting. It's much less. Two, um, yeah. And you have to dose it right. Um, and if you have a CGM, it makes it so much easier to find the right dose for you. And it really depends on where your blood sugar is, where your trend arrow is going. But um, even on today's conference, uh, that we had a virtual conference today that more and more people are finally discovering a Frezza. And um, so yeah, I mean, like, it's just amazing that we spent this whole podcast talking about just the new insulins. Um, there's just so much going on that people really do have to educate themselves. Go talk to your provider. And there's a good chance they might say, I've never heard of Fiasp or Frezza or whatever. That happens all the time. Um, and it's just bringing it to their attention, discussing if it might be an option for you, trying these things. Um, that's a big part of what diabetes is about. People say, what's the best thing I should be on? What do I have to be on? It's not really, there's no real answer for that. That you and I are in different, you know, uh, insulin pumps. We do different insulins, things that work differently for us. So find out what works for you, advocate for yourself, give it a try and, uh, you know, keep yourself healthy. Yeah. And I, I'd say we've mentioned a lot of words on this show. Uh, Frezza's made by a we're company always, called- We're always saying words. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you want to find more- find out more about Afreza besides the lecture uh, mankind is the company you can go to their website and the other thing i should say is doctors always have a hard time prescribing it because they, they're not familiar with the doses just hang in there make some phone calls and uh, get knowledgeable about these new insulins and one of them might be better for you and then it's, it's really a good stepping stone to have a conversation yeah. with your caregiver and our next podcast live, we're going to be dissecting Steve's lungs <laughs> and uh, seeing seeing if he's accurate with the surface area of this. But uh, please subscribe to our podcast um, so you get information on when we have new ones, etc. Check out our website, tcoid.org. we got our video vault, all kinds of information, uh, things to read, things to watch, and things to listen to now. Please donate it if you have it within your, your means. And I uh, just want to say thanks to my partner and co-host in crime, Dr. Steve Edelman. Thank you, Jeremy. It's all been right. fun. See you later. Bye.